I'm Pastor Mike Winger, and this is Bible Thinker, the program dedicated to thinking biblically about everything. Okay, we are live. And uh, welcome to the uh, Tuesday Theology and Apologetics live stream. I'm Mike Winger, and today we're going to be talking about the false teachings and the very dangerous lies of Juchil Kim, pastor of the World Mission Society Church of God. So um, let me just make take a moment to make sure that the stream is working and everybody can hear me and everybody can see me. So if you would, just, uh, I don't know, say something in chat to let me know that it's all good to go. All right. I... <laughs> I think I'm live. <laughs> yep, okay, there we go. The chat's just started coming in. Sorry, guys, I have, like a lot of dead air there for a second. I once did a live stream where I literally talked for 20 minutes to myself before, uh, I think it was my buddy AJ sent me a message. He's like, are you doing a live stream today? And I, I thought, oh, no, <laughs> something's wrong. So your guys' chats just all started flooding in. I think there's just a, a good long delay there. Um, <clears throat> so... Uh, let me uh, let me get us started today. Um, we've already got uh, I don't know we've got like 37 or so people already with us, and I'm I'm really glad you guys take this time to join me. This is a really serious issue we're going to deal with today, and I want to start off by saying a couple things so I won't be misunderstood. Um, if you're part of the Church of God, the World Mission Society Church of God, this is not meant to attack you at all. This video is actually for you. Like you're you're the person I have in mind when I'm making this video. I care about you, and I made this video for you. And so I'm hoping that you'll you'll check it out. Um, chances are, if you're part of this group, you have questions, and you're not allowed to ask your questions, and you're not getting answers to your questions. Like. Nothing comes through. You know, nobody answers your hard questions about the, the church. In fact, you're not even supposed to ask them. You're told not to talk to other members about those issues. And I, I want you to listen in. I'm going to be doing, giving you some hard truth, some tough love today. But I'll also, at the very end, I'm going to give you some hope and some advice on what to do next after you find out the things I'm going to tell you today. Now, if you have loved ones who are part of the World Mission Society Church of God... I think you should be taking notes. This stuff is going to be things that you're going to want to share with those people. And if you just are encountering them at malls or around your church or college campuses, then you're going to want to learn some of these truths because you are definitely going to need this information that you're about to hear today. So um, you're probably going to learn a lot <laughs> through all this stuff. So let me just get you guys caught up, give you a little bit of clarity. Um, oh, and by the way, for those who are watching live, who are, who are not watching the rebroadcast, if you're watching live and you have questions, um, you can put your questions in the chat anytime you want. And my buddy AJ is going to gather those questions and feed them to me at the end of the stream. And I'll answer as many questions as I can. So I, I will take your questions at the end of the stream. Now, <clears throat> uh, that being said, and you can remind each other in the chat uh, about that throughout the stream. I don't want to keep saying it over and over again for people who, who join a little bit late because it's really boring for those who stuck with me the whole time. Um, okay, so let me get you caught up. A little recap, just in case you're not very familiar with the World Mission Society Church of God. I've actually done two videos on them already. This is the third video. Here's the drama that led to this moment today, right? Um, people in my church were being influenced or at least approached by these individuals. I looked into them, found out it was a big movement, did a video on God the Mother, because this group teaches that a woman, a Korean woman, 74-year-old Korean woman named Zhang Gil-ja is literally God the Mother alive right now in Korea. 
Now, the problem is, of course, that the Bible doesn't teach anything about this other version of God, this God, the mother person. Um, and, of course, nothing nothing Christian is about the concept of God, the mother. Um, so I did a video dealing with this. They didn't like that very much. They actually filed a legal complaint against me, got the video taken down, and I was banned from doing YouTube live streams for three months. In fact, I am just, just started up again last week. Uh, now... I produced another video and put that one up, and that one's got like 11,000 views so far, and it's still counting. Then I did another video that was about another pillar of their church. So if you're interested in who this Mother God person is, there's a link in this video description that will tell you all about that. Just click the link, you can learn it. That's the recap on God the Mother there. Then there is this other guy who actually started the movement, and his name's An Song Hong. And this gentleman, they say he is the second coming of Christ, and he's also the Holy Spirit, and he's also somehow the Father. So this is just a lot of information to take in, I know. Um, I did a whole video on that individual and the truth about who he thought he was. He didn't even think he was Christ. He thought he was Elijah, whatever he meant by that. I did that video. That is in the video description. But today I'm doing a whole different video. And this is about a guy named Ju Chul Kim. Now this gentleman... This is this is the real mastermind and the guy running the church. It's Ju Chiel Kim. You know, why do I say this? Because when <clears throat> An Song Hong died, there was no teaching that An Song Hong was Christ, and there was no teaching about God the Mother floating around in this church. Then Ju Chiel Kim took over. He separated the church from the family, the actual family of An Song Hong, and he started teaching about God the Mother. He taught An Song Hong was Christ, and then he started just really pushing and pushing and pushing it. So that's what I'm going to do today. He's the force behind the movement, and it's his particular teachings that are really driving this group, uh, this group that's very different than they were many years ago. So this, that's, that's only half the drama. Here's the other half of the drama. It's this book right here. This is the book I'm going to critique today, and it's actually written by, I don't know how well you guys can see this, but I'll try to get it. Here, let me see. I'll try to get it right here so you can see it. This book is written by Ju Chiel Kim. And it's My Sheep Listen to My Voice. This is actually the content that he teaches. Like, this is his official works, right? In fact, it's published by Melchizedek Publishing Group, which is owned by, you guessed it, it's, it's Juchiol's, like, puppet publishing company. That's what this is. They made it really hard for me to get this book. I wanted to analyze the teachings of Juchiol Kim, but I couldn't get a hold of his teachings. I couldn't find them anywhere. Um, and he, of course, speaks in Korean. There's lots of Korean videos on YouTube. There are some in English as well. But I was like, I want to get stuff. He can't, they can't say, oh, he doesn't teach that anymore. Oh, that doesn't count. I want it in writing. So I had to get this book through some very difficult means. 65 bucks for this, this little piece of heresy right here. $65 for this book. And I had to get it through like a third-party private seller because it's not on any of the book companies and, it, and Melchizedek Company. They will not sell it to anybody. After getting it, I received threats from members of the World Mission Society Church of God that just for owning this thing, I was going to be judged by God because they don't like their information getting out. The one thing they don't want is what I'm about to do right now which is to take their teachings and hold them up in the light of true history and especially in the light of scripture. So that's the drama. That's the past tense. And now we'll get into the present. Um, if you're encountered by the World Mission Society Church of God, this is what will happen to you. And if you're part of the group, this is very possibly your story I'm sharing. In fact, I've heard this story from several people who are formerly in the group. This is how it happens. 
they first meet you and they get you off balance by saying things like, um, do you observe Passover? You have to observe Passover. God commanded you to observe Passover. And you're like, I don't, I don't know. And then you start talking to them and they kind of confuse you. Or they'll say, have you heard of Mother God? And then they say, well, she's testified in the Bible from beginning to end. And they quote a verse out of context. And, you, and if you're not well informed in the scriptures, you get really thrown off and confused. And so then what they do is they don't really want to draw you to conclusions in the middle of that conversation. That conversation is just to open the door. The next step, here's their plan, right? They're not trying to convert you at that moment. They're trying to get you to come with them to a Bible study that will happen somewhere else. You will go to this Bible study and this will not be a one hour study or a two hour study or a three hour study. It's going to be all day. You're going to go to the study and you're going to hear about Passover and how um, everyone's pagan in all the Christians are really pagans. They don't observe Passover and they don't observe the Sabbath properly. And they, they worship the cross and Mary and they all are pagans because they celebrate Christmas. And you're going to hear this sort of doom and gloom, like really terrifying stuff about Christians. And then you'll think, oh dear, I'm scared. I'm scared. And that's when they tell you quick, get baptized right now today. And according to one testimony I heard just the other day from a gentleman who was formerly in the group and contacted me, he said that he, he went through this exact process. They baptized him and it was not until the moment of his baptism that he heard them for the first time say, when they said, I baptize you in the name of, they said, not Christ, not Jesus. They said, on song hong and he went oh dear what have i gotten myself into because they they lock you in the group they don't tell you all the weird teachings they just scare you with these sort of threatening kind of things like oh you're a false christian quick get saved saved get baptized into our group and then when you ask who's on song hong they tell you oh brother all will be revealed we'll tell you later so um what i'm going to do today i already dealt with on song hong and god the mother i'm going to deal today with with uh, the type of teaching you'd receive in that, that all-day-long teaching stream where they'll talk about Passover, the Sabbath, Christmas, and the cross, and Mary, and all this. So that's what we're going to do today. And again, if you have questions, just put them in the comments. I'll answer those at the end of the stream. Um, <clears throat> all right. Chapter 1 of My Sheep Listen to My Voice, which, by the way, in the intro to this book, and I'm, I'm sharing this with full, uh, under fair use rights, I'm sharing uh, little snippets of the material in order to do a critique of it. That's legal, um, just in case you're wondering. Um, but this is what he says in the introduction to the book. He says, please study this book diligently, beginning from the first chapter to the final chapter, and you will receive God's abundant grace and blessing through his words. The, the book kind of claims to be God's very word, which is um, a little problematic. Um, so, Let's get into the details. In chapter one, he starts with the issue of the Sabbath. Um, now, you might expect this book to, to outline a bunch of deep theology or important teachings. Rather, what it's going to do over and over again is pick trivial issues, act like they're the biggest deal in the world, and then hammer people on them. Um, so, in chapter one, on page 15, it says about the Sabbath. In order to enter the eternal rest, which we hope for, we must keep the Sabbath holy as a symbol of everlasting rest. Very quickly, people who are paying attention, you already know, right? They're saying this is a salvation issue. You have to keep the Sabbath or you will not be saved. Okay, so get used to this because everything in this church is a salvation issue, it seems to me, right? That every issue I deal with today, they will tell you, if you don't get this right, you are not saved. You will not have eternal life. So the first one is the Sabbath. You have to keep it. Um, he's going to go on to talk about, uh, oh, by the way, there's one thing that's not a salvation issue, and that's the actual gospel. I can't find a place where this book talks about the real gospel of Jesus Christ in all of its pages. 
Um, but they'll say the, 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 the issue of the gospel issue related to salvation is the Sabbath here, and you have to keep the Sabbath, which means keeping it on Saturday. So part of the discussion, <clears throat> and I'm going to not spend a lot of time on this because it's kind of irrelevant, but part of the discussion in the book is, is the Sabbath Saturday or Sunday? And what they say in page 23 is most people have mistakenly called Sunday the Sabbath. On page 23, he says that. Um, and it's, it's important to him to be the only one that gets it, right? It's important to, to, to Kim, Juchil Kim, to, get, to be the only person or only group that really gets the truth so they can isolate others and make themselves look like they're, they're right and everyone else is wrong. Um, but here's the thing, okay, I'm not going to fight you on this, right? The Sabbath is Saturday. That's clear. That sabado, right? Like for for I'm in California, so I know I know enough Spanish to order food, right? So <laughs> sabado, this is this is the Sabbath. That's what Saturday is. Those who think that Sunday is the Sabbath, you're just mistaken. You're just confused. You have traditions. That's not a historical fact. I fully agree, and so do a lot of people. This is not something that just the World Mission Society Church of God knows. Lots of people are aware of this, so it's really a non-issue. But he wants to make it look. Like they've sort of got the corner of the market on truth. Um, but I will add this one thing. Properly, the Sabbath starts at sundown on Friday and ends on, at sundown on Saturday. Friday evening, therefore, is the beginning of the Sabbath. That's the beginning. This is how the Jewish day would begin. And if you're going to say, well, we don't care about the Jewish day. Well, then why do you care about the Jewish Sabbath? That's the whole debate, right? Yeah, it matters. Um, so technically, Friday sundown till Saturday sundown, that's the Sabbath. But <clears throat> I don't care because I'm not under the law. As a Christian, I do not think there's any biblical teaching that says I must observe the Sabbath. You can, and you certainly may. And, you, and if you want to, you should. But must? No. Is it required for salvation? No. Let me read to you again from page 25. It says that um, speaking that the Sabbath is required, you observing the Sabbath is required. It says to grant us eternal rest in heaven, God commanded us, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Now, this is a good example of how Kim quotes the Bible. He quotes the Bible. Remember the Sabbath day keeping it by keeping it holy or to keep it holy. But he adds to it, right? To grant us eternal rest in heaven, God commanded us. Where does it say that in the text? It just doesn't. This is just totally added to the word. What's weird, too, in the book, uh, when he quotes the Bible, he'll frequently add his commentary um, as part of the Bible. Like, so you'll get the text of the scripture in, in this bracketed form, and then his commentary is just in the text. It's not a new sentence, not a new paragraph. You can hardly tell the difference between the Bible being quoted and him talking. Also on page 25, he says, those who reject it, the Sabbath, will be subject to God's judgment, and those who falsely teach people that they don't have to keep the Sabbath, this guy right here, will never escape punishment in hell. Can you see how big of an issue they say this issue is? Uh, page 33, it actually goes on to say that false teachers, how you identify a false teacher is false teachers are those who break the Sabbath. Now, that's not what the Bible says, but that's what he says the Bible says. Oh, my goodness. Um, let me give you something I agree with. <laughs> page 25, he, he goes on to say, let's pay more attention to this teaching about the Sabbath. And I think, I fully agree. Let's pay more attention to God's teaching about the Sabbath. We're going to do that right now. First off, one of the issues is this. Um, Kim's use of the Old Testament is so selective that he will say you have to keep the Sabbath, and he says it's to be saved, even though that's not the context of the Old Testament. 
Um, but then he ignores all the other laws that God said for them to keep. So he picks one, says keep that, ignores all the rest. And this I've seen many times in my Christian walk, people who do this selectively apply um, for salvation one random thing in the Bible and ignore the rest of what that means. Like if you're going to take some of the law, how do you not take all of it? Please explain this to me. Um, you have you have two possible examples of being saved in the Bible. One, be saved through the law. And the Bible says all have sinned and fallen short. You can't make it, Right. The other is be saved through Jesus Christ, faith in him, because if there had been a law given which could have saved us, then Jesus died in vain, the scripture tells us. So, um, let me talk to you about Kim's hypocrisy here in this regard on the in the Old Testament. He quotes it selectively. So, page 33, he says, Through the biblical prophecy, we can see that God is profaned among those who do not keep the Sabbath. Um, side note. This group uses the word prophecy more than anyone I've ever seen before. And they use it willy-nilly. Like, it just through the biblical prophecy, every verse is a prophecy, right? Every single verse, whether it's prophetic, whether it's foreshadowing or not, doesn't make any difference. But I feel like this is a way of reinforcing the strength of what they're saying. And a lot of the times they're talking to people as though they're little children. And so they are more interested in their authority than they are in the factual nature of what they're saying. Interesting thing to think about there. In Ezekiel twenty two twenty six, though, this is this is one of the verses that he actually goes to. But let's read what it says. Um, her priests. Oh, excuse me. I have. Look at this. Boom. I can bring it up for you right now. So Ezekiel twenty two verse twenty six. This is uh, the passage he actually brings up in his book. Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. They have made no distinction between the holy and the common. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have disregarded my Sabbaths so that I am profaned among them. Now, how he's going to use this verse is to say that um, when you disregard God's Sabbaths, you're profaning God. Uh, that's that's the effect it's ha- that's happening. And I would say, well, yes. In his, Ezekiel is not writing to every everybody directly. We we have application to us, but not directly. Um, no, he's writing to the Jewish people who are rejecting the Jewish law of God's Sabbath. But it's not the only thing, is it? Right? Because there's three things. They're, they've they've done well, mo- maybe more than three. They've done violence to my law and have profaned my holy things. We're talking about like the temple or uh, the temple implements and things like that. They've made no distinction between the holy and the common. These are these are Levitical terms, the holy and the common. So we're talking about the whole Levitical priesthood. Neither have they taught the difference between the unclean and the clean, and they've disregarded my Sabbath so that I'm profaned among them. Here's the hypocrisy. He takes the word Sabbath, hijacks it out of that verse, and ignores the idea that if you're going to apply this to you today, then you need to take the Sabbath, the holy and unholy, the common, the clean, the unclean, the, the, the whole law of God, and you have to apply all of it. And that's what he does over and over again. In a nutshell, what Kim teaches his people is to rip the scriptures to pieces and selectively take out the words they want and ignore the stuff they don't. And that's that's why you're confused. If you're sitting under his teaching, you don't even know how to read the Bible because you don't read the Bible to understand it. You just pick one word, one word out of a verse and then say, therefore, we're right. Um, and that that's a terrible, terrible thing. Uh, thing to fall into and a habit to have because then it gets to the point where you can't understand hardly anything in the Bible. Um, but then he, he tries to draw an application for how we would, we would do this in the New Testament. 
in the New Testament that we have to obey the Sabbath. And he says that to prove that we should obey the Sabbath in the New Testament, not just not just uh, for Jews under the old covenant, but rather for all people for all time. In Acts 18.4, we see this. And this is the verse he uses to say, see, you have to keep the Sabbath. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Paul the Apostle here, that's what we read about in Acts 18, he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath, every Sabbath, and he reasons with the Jews. Now, is there anything here about a command for every believer to go into the synagogue every Sabbath? No, there's not. Um, this is just an unrelated verse. Like, Can you tell that this doesn't teach what he wants it to teach? I, I'm sure you pick up on that. In page uh, 35 of his book, he says, There is not a single line authorizing the observance of Sunday service in the Bible. Now, now this is interesting. Um, we're going to come back to this in a second, that he doesn't even know what the Sabbath is about, right? The, the Sabbath isn't about going to church or the synagogue. The Sabbath is about resting. That's it. End of story. You rest. But to him, it's all about just going to church and attending church and showing up on time. And I'll come back to that in a moment. Um, so, he says there is not one single line authorizing the observance of Sunday service. And I'll say, well, wrong. Uh, Romans 14.5, it tells us, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Romans 14.5 here is telling us, hey, pick what you want. Just live it unto the Lord. Serve, un serve God with your life. If you go Sunday, if you go Saturday, if you go Friday, if you go Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, Fine. Just do it unto the Lord and don't judge each other on these non-issues. That's really the point there. But that's not the only one. Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17. It says, Therefore, let no one, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. Now, if you've been burdened by Kim's teaching, let Colossians free you. No one can judge you on issues related to the Sabbath. You want to observe it? Go ahead. You don't? Go ahead. Don't be judged on this issue. It's a liberty thing. You can do it or not. Up to you. Um, so yes, I agree with him that the Sabbath was not changed, right? But it just doesn't matter whether you want to observe it or not. It's, it's irrelevant. Um, so let's talk about some more confusion that he has. Kim's confusion about the about the Sabbath goes into him again, again I, as I said, thinking that the Sabbath is all about gathering in church on Saturday instead of Sunday. This is what the Sabbath was about. Leviticus 23.3. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. A holy convocation, you shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. Now, did you know that when this was written, there were no synagogues? They didn't exist. Those developed intertestamentally, you know, like but before the time of Christ, but after the, the time of this, for, for sure, after Leviticus. Um, this, that was a tradition. It was just a tradition that was added later. Oh, well, let's go to the synagogue. You know, we have a day of rest. I don't have to do this. Let's gather together. Let's read the Torah. Let's, let's, uh, let's just get, in, you know, get focused on, on God together. And so it's a good thing, but it's not a requirement. No, the Sabbath is all about rest. But to Kim, in his book, he gives a list of things that you need to do. In fact, it's right at the end of this. This chapter is very long, by the way, in this book. But the end of the chapter, he finally gets to the point where he's like, and here's what the Sabbath is. And he gives these specific rules, right? All he cares about is the gathering. He doesn't even talk about not working that day. He just says, make sure you go to church. 
keep your kids quiet. I'm not kidding. These are the rules. Keep your kids quiet in church or you're violating the Sabbath. Your kids have to stay quiet in church. Um, and, and show up on time. I'm not kidding. This is the Sabbath rule. Show up on time. This just sounds like a burden to me. And he implies, he says, if you were going to have an important meeting, you'd come 20 minutes or an hour early. Well, you're meeting God in church, so you have to come early. Um, this is just, okay, it gets worse. Because then he goes on in that section of his book to compare coming late to church. And I'm not kidding here. To the parable of the virgins who didn't bring oil and who were, who were kept out of the kingdom and cast out because they didn't come on time. They came late because they didn't have oil in their lamps to the wedding. That's the Sabbath to you? Kim, just, I would be laboring under such fear and such condemnation if I was exposed to this kind of horrible, unbiblical, ungodly, unchristian teaching as what he's sharing here. But there's more. You have to do more on the Sabbath, right? Keep your kids quiet. Show up on time. Come early. Even an hour early is implied. Keep the church clean. Another rule you have for the Sabbath. Um, so pick up after yourself. Four, smile and don't be gloomy because it's the Sabbath. You're not allowed to be gloomy. What? Because the, what, what he really cares about is the way this church looks to the world. That's why he wants when guests come, he wants them to see how well organized they are, that they come on time, that they are organized in the way they sit, that they're organized and that their children don't talk, that they're organized and that the church stays clean, and that they all smile and they're not gloomy to offer the pretend impression that their lives are perfect so people will be drawn to that church and then five if you're having problems don't tell anyone unless it's a pastor i'm not kidding it's right there in the book if you're having issues in your life only talk to the pastor and make an appointment to talk with him they're available for you don't tell other people yeah there's there's the 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 nutshell teaching on the sabbath right all the other churches are apostate and we are all going to hell if we don't Come on Saturday, show up on time, keep our kids quiet, you know, and all of this other nonsense. Um, now, the early church actually did, if you wanted to know this, they did often gather on the Sabbath and on Sunday, on the first day of the week. And we read about this. Uh, I'll give you a couple verses that we read about this in Acts 20. Um, and he brings this up too, but Acts 20, verse 7. I'm going to give you Kim's response to this because he actually tries to refute this in his book. <clears throat> On the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. Uh, Kim says, though, this is the first day of the week. They're gathering on the first day. That's definitely Sunday. And, um, and he says, quote, This is not a record of the weekly Sunday service, but of the observance of, of Resurrection Day between the Feast of Unleavened Bread and the Day of Pentecost. Um, and let me just say this. <laughs> um, what he's done is he's revealed his cards in this quote. Um, he tries to defend against this. He goes, this wasn't a regular thing. This was a once a year thing. They gathered first day of the week one time out of the year. That was it. And I'll, I'll give you another verse later to support that they gathered regularly at that time, which you don't have to, but they did. And we should acknowledge it. But he then goes on to say that this was, this was still, it was the first day of the week, but they were gathering gathering an observance of resurrection day uh, after the feast of unleavened bread which it doesn't work in the text very well but still here's the problem this means that they were breaking bread breaking bread on sunday the first day of the week now his whole deal we'll talk about passover next or in a, in a bit the whole thing about passover is that it's like legit the biggest deal in the world to them the first and greatest commandment and you have to do it on what the special day the only special day, which is going to be on whatever day of the year they put it on, you know, and it's going to, probably going to be on a Sabbath. 
but according to this text, they were breaking bread. That phrase, breaking bread, definitely means Passover. If you're, uh, if you're not so sure about that, I actually have a scripture I'll share with you. 1 Corinthians 10.6. Now, some of you are like, why are you saying Passover, Mike, and not communion? I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. I'm doing this for the sake of those who are part of this group watching. Uh, now, these things took place as symbols. Oh, hold on. That's not the right passage. 10.16. 10.16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? The bread that we break. That phrase, breaking bread, that's communion or Passover. That's what that's referring to. Jesus broke the bread and gave it to them. This is my body. Do this in remembrance of me. That's the clear teaching of the text. So they were doing this. They were actually having a communion or Passover service on the first day of the week. And that's according to Kim's interpretation. Um, so that kind of debunks his whole, his whole, well, his whole cult in all honesty. Let's look at another verse though. First Corinthians chapter uh, 16. Do you guys like this when I put the scriptures up on the screen like that? Um, uh, I hope that's helpful for you. I know when I'm hearing it and not seeing it, it's a whole different effect. So putting it up, I think is a benefit. Uh, so I'm going to try and make that happen more, at least for the live streams. Uh, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed at the churches of Galatia, so also, uh, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collection collecting when I come. So they're going to gather their money and set it aside on the first day of the week. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. This, in page 39 of his book, he refutes this, refutes this. He says, this shows us that on the first day of the week, Sunday, they worked to get their income rather than worshipped. So to him, setting money aside proves that you went to work that day. Um, but this implies they only worked one day a week. Um, it, Im it implies a bunch of weird things. I just kind of go, huh? Like this is a forced interpretation. The obvious meaning is they gathered together the first day of the week. Paul's like, don't, take, don't make a big collection moment when I'm there. I, if you want to give, store it up ahead of time. But, but don't let me be... I, Paul doesn't want to show up and be like the guy asking for money, you know, that, and, 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 uh, I get that. <laughs> and so he's like, yeah, let's not make that, that situation happen. I don't want to be that. Um, so they were gathering on, on, uh, the first day of the week, Sunday. So then he goes on to just talk about straw men, vicious, false rumors that supposedly Satan spreads against their church. And this is one of the things he does. Um, this, this book isn't just the teaching of a theology. It's an argument, right? He's having an argument with every Christian in the world in this book. And in the course of it, he says, here's my teaching. Your teaching's all fallacious. You're all going to hell. And then I'm going to answer your objections in this book as well. But his objections he answers are really weird. Let me give you an example. Here's the objection he answers to the Sabbath statement. Um, in page 47 of the book, he says, Some people would say, don't go to any church that worships on Saturday. It must be a cult because all churches, is, all churches worship on Sunday. Like, who says this? Like, I don't care if you go to Saturday or Sunday, and most Christians probably don't care either. Um, what's cultish is to say that if you don't come to our church and worship on Saturday, you're going to hell. That's cultish. That's weird. He goes on to say that people don't like their church because they're too small. Um, no, we don't like your church because of your false teachings. There's a big difference. So, um, yeah. So this, uh, that, we'll move on past the Sabbath issue. And I think I'll try to move a little quicker for these other ones. I don't know how much. I feel like we've been going forever. So um, the next one, the next 
issue is Christmas. And, of course, we will do this one a lot faster. Um, in the book, he really rails on Christmas. And I'm, I'm, you guys, let me just stop for a moment and say a couple things about Christmas. Um, there are, okay, if you, I'm not going to even, I'm not trying to get you to like Christmas or want it or celebrate it. But let me say this. As a guy who does the research and does the hard work to try to understand the truth of these issues, there are more lies flying around the internet about Christmas than there are about, like, any of the presidents of the United States. <laughs> it's insane how thick the internet is with the misinformation about Christmas, and that's exactly what we get in this book. Um, he claims that everyone who celebrates Christmas is celebrating a pagan holiday is worshiping false gods, and unbeknownst to them, tricked by Satan, they're literally worshiping the enemy, and they're worshiping pagan deities. He claims that December 25th, if you celebrate Jesus on that day, December 25th is, and I'm going to give you a list, because most people will tell you it's one of these things, but he claims all of them. From the book, he says December 25th is the festival of the sun god Baal, the birth of the sun god Nimrod, the Roman festival of Saturnalia, the winter solstice, the festival of Mithra, and the celebration of the Roman sun god's um, birth, uh, which is would be Sol Invictus is the fancy term for that. He doesn't use that term, but I know what it is. Um, so he gives like six things that, that December 25th is. Let me walk you through those and give you a little bit of facts. And then I'm going to just, just give you a resource in the video description. It's already there um, that will help you. I have a teaching uh, playlist on Christmas where I go through these issues in video. But if you want to read, um, there's an article from the Biblical Archaeology Society, and I linked that in the description, that talks about the origins of December 25th and all that sort of thing. Um, so the first thing he claims, Christmas is the festival of the sun god Baal, and if you worship on Jesus on December 25th, you're, you, oops, you accidentally worship the wrong god, because that's how God views things. He's like, you tried to worship me, but you picked the wrong day, going to hell. Like, that's totally, that's biblical, right? It's just, it's just mind-boggling. Um, so, is December 25th the festival of the sun god Baal? Uh, no, Baal was not a sun god. <laughs> and Baal didn't have any festivals around December 25th. In the Canaanite religion, Shapash was the sun, the sun god of the Canaanite religion and also didn't have a December 25th festival. Is it the birthday of the sun god Nimrod, his second claim? Is December 25th the birthday of the sun god Nimrod? No, Nimrod was never a god. There's a lot of mythological stuff about Nimrod, and he was a real historical person we read about in the Bible. But there's no birth of a... This is just like, I don't know where this came from. Uh, Google it for yourself. But let me tell you this. Only take reputable websites. Don't take conspiratorial stuff. There's just more nonsense about Christmas than anything in the world, I think. Well, not entirely anything. Um, then he says his third claim is that... December 25th is the Roman festival of Saturnalia. Now that festival was several days long and it ended before December 25th. It ended like on the 23rd, if I remember correctly, maybe the 24th. There was, because I did a lot of research on this in the past. It, when it started, it was a shorter festival. Years later, it got longer over time, but it never went to December 25th. Um, so not, not related. He says it's also the winter solstice. This is the fourth claim. So far, he's over O. <clears> the <throat> no, over four the the fourth claim over three there you go the fourth claim is that uh yeah december 25th is the winter solstice just do a quick google search and ask when is the winter solstice it's december 21st I'll save you the time not december 25th if it was the winter solstice why are we not celebrating it on december 21st then he says it's the festival festival of mithra um it's supposed to be the the birth of mithra there's a lot of myths about mithra or mithras 
out there. Um, this is simply not the case. It's just not factually true. And finally, he says his last claim, and there's some truth to this one, that, that December 25th is the Roman sun god's birth. And this is an actual Roman holiday called Sol Invictus. For this, I'm going to refer you to the, the, the article or the videos I've linked in the video description because it's kind of a long discussion. But basically, th the celebration of Jesus' birth was going on widespread in the church before Sol Invictus ever had a celebration of his birth. And uh, the celebration of Jesus' birth was at different times, and then eventually it became, uh, some, it became something that we fairly universally do on December 25th, some people on January 7th uh, in the Eastern churches. And, uh, and, and none of us necessarily thinks that these are the exact date of Jesus' birth, nor do we care <laughs> because it's not relevant. You can celebrate a commemoration of an event anytime you want. Um, but Sol Invictus, the earliest account we have of Sol Invictus being celebrated on December 25th, is in the same document that says Christians were already celebrating it on that day. If anything, Sol Invictus's birthday celebration, which happened hundreds of years, uh, Sol Invictus kind of showed up hundreds of years after Jesus, as far as uh, being worshipped, um, that may have been patterned after the Christians, not the other way around. So again, I've got links in the video description for more information from that. Um, what's weird, though, and I want you to show you the credibility of Kim, the guy that's running this thing. Um, <clears throat> he he likes quoting people to seem authoritative, right? The beginning of the book quotes Abraham Lincoln. It's a weird quote, doesn't mean anything and related to the book, but he likes quoting people, and he's, of course, trying to reach out to Americans. That's one of his target audiences. Um, but to, to prove December 25th is all these weird things, he literally quotes, I'm not kidding, multiple Korean newspapers from the last few decades. Newspapers, like that's the quote, like no scholar, no, no in particular special work. Um, and then tells us all that, I mean, let's just suppose that December 25th was all these weird pagan things. But on that day, I get up and me and my wife get together and we pray, Lord Jesus, we just want to remember the day you came and took on our sinful, uh, well, he took on our flesh and then eventually took on our sin and he lived the perfect life and it was the incarnation, God with us. And as I'm praying, do you really think that God's rejecting my prayers now? That he, he hates me and he's going to send me to hell because I'm really worshiping Satan? Like, please, just the insanity of this sort of nonsense. Um, people need to think a little more clearly about Christmas. You don't have to like it or celebrate it, but you at least should think clearly about the issue. Forgive me, I'm a little passionate. Um, in my videos on Christmas, I've received more abuse from believers than in any other videos I've done, and they will not listen to reason. This particular small minority of people who won't think about the issues. Um, but they're, but this guy, Kim, he's taking advantage of all this, taking advantage of the conspiracy theories, taking advantage of it all to try to get people into his church. So let's not feed him any of that. Um, it's just not a salvation issue in any way, shape, or form. So, Passover. Now, this is this is probably the biggest issue, and this is the, the, the final big issue I will cover. And then I'm going to give you just some kind of factoids, some quick facts about them that you are, you're going to want to know. And then I'll take your guys' questions. Passover is kind of a big deal to them. Um, they will say that they're the only church that celebrates Passover. In fact, let me read to you what he says in page 135. He says, many people claim to believe in God and to live according to the teachings of the Bible, but they do not know that this, do, do not know the central truth of the Bible, the truth of God that leads them to eternal life and salvation. Now, some of us would actually agree with that statement. We'd be like, yeah, some people claim they're Christians, but they don't know the central truth of the Bible. 
What you don't realize is that in his head and in his book, the central truth and the number one command of God is the Passover. Celebrate and not not what it symbolizes. No, the physical celebration and commemoration of Jesus' death and resurrection, which he doesn't call communion, he calls the Passover. He doesn't call Eucharist, he calls Passover. He says, if we miss this, quote, we will not be able to attain salvation. And what he means is you have to do Passover exactly the way they do it, which of course got my attention because then I'm like, well, what do they do that's so different than every other Christian church? What do they do that makes them unique, that makes them condemn every other person on the planet because they're not doing it their way? So what you'll quickly realize is that he's going to replace Jesus with Passover, right? Jesus is not essential. Passover is essential. Jesus is important and all that, but but you've got to do the Passover in the special way. And they won't even tell you what they do. He won't tell you how they do it. The book doesn't even get into the details of how they do it. Uh, not really. Um, I had to talk to former members to find out what exactly do they do in their Passover service because they want to keep it a secret because they want it to be only accessible to people who are in the cult. And this is part of the mind control, right? Let's not propagate what we think will save people. Let's hide it from them all so we can feel special about ourselves. So, um, page 145 of his book, he says, quote, Jesus told us to keep the Passover if we want to have eternal life. Of course, Jesus didn't say that, did he? Now, if you know your Bible, you know he just didn't say that. Um, But then the plot thickens, and he gets conspiratorial again. And he says that Passover was instituted by Jesus, although, you know, it was, of course, it was before. Jesus came, and he gave us this idea of breaking of the bread and all that, yes. But then he says Passover was destroyed for 1,600 years. There has been no Passover in the church, and therefore no one's been getting saved for 1,600 years. Everyone's been going to hell, according to this church. This is really, I think, the initial weird core teaching of the entire group is this Passover teaching. Let me read to you page 149. However, the Passover, the truth of eternal life, which must be observed until the last day, was completely destroyed by Satan at the Council of Nicaea in AD 325. I, uh, there's a never ending flow of conspiratorial nonsense that comes out of, out, out with the phrase council of Nicaea. I recommend you actually look into the council of Nicaea. If you're witnessing to whether it's atheists or people in this particular group, or just people who have curious questions about Christianity, it pays to know something about the council of Nicaea. Um, but anyways, no, they didn't destroy Passover. Um, let me give you a quick rundown in history. And, and I actually, I'm actually like reading real, real history, right? Real actual history books that we're getting like, here's Eusebius, like actually giving us, you know, some history content, referencing it with different things. He gets his stuff from the Korean newspapers. I'm, I'm talking about actual history. Um, so in the early church, they would, um, they would celebrate uh, Passover uh, very frequently. In the book of Acts, we read about them celebrating, breaking bread all the time, actually. But then they're there started to become this contention between Jews and Christians. And when Jews and Christians would fight, this over the course of centuries caused some tensions, right? The Jews persecuting Christians and sometimes the other way around as well. And, um, and on the issue of Passover, it became, an, it became a problem for this reason. As, as a Christian, you're like, I'm going to celebrate Passover or communion, which is, of course, the fulfillment of Passover. And then the Jew says, well, then you need to do it our way or you need even us to administer it to you. And so the 
Christian Church decided, um, or at least I should say the Council of Nicaea decided, we want to finally separate the day the Christians celebrate Easter or Passover, right? The death and resurrection of Jesus. We want to separate that from the day that the Jewish people are doing their celebration so they can't come to us and tell us they have authority over us. Now, I don't know. That, I don't think this was a, a wise decision, right? So they moved the day. That's what they did. And they didn't, they didn't destroy Passover. They're doing the exact same thing. They're just saying, let's do this on a different day. And the reason is because calendars are weird, right? You've got You've got the Jewish calendar, which is like a lunar thing. Then you have like the the more Latin and, and Roman-esque calendars that are totally different calendar systems. And so they do diverge. And you're saying, do we do it off of the anniversary of Jesus' um, death and resurrection on this calendar or the anniversary based on that calendar? That's the debate. It's kind of complicated and, in all honesty, unimportant stuff. Um, but... He's going to use this to say that Passover was utterly destroyed and that from that point on, nobody in the church was celebrating Passover at all. And An Song Hong, the founder of the group, he restarted Passover, gave it to them in truth all over again. So what exactly is it, though, that they do? Like, what's special about their Passover? This was the question that was, it literally took me like two months to get to the bottom of this one question. What is different in the, in the World Mission Society Church of God in their Passover celebration compared to any other church's Passover or communion service. Nothing. Nothing is different. They just do communion and they call it Passover. That's it. This is the whole difference, guys. They do the exact same thing, except that their women have to wear veils, right? And, and that's for all their services. Um, but they just, they pass over the bread and the cup and they drink and they eat it. That's it. That's the whole story. What they do is they do it on a special day, and they won't even tell me what day it is. I can't find out what day it is, right, because they hide it from everyone. They do it on a special day. But I know churches that do communion every single day. Every day they have communion. And so then, at least according to this group, that church is okay because they at least did it on the right day. But what did Jesus say? Did Jesus do a big, give us a big you know, command about when we should observe the breaking of the bread, which is not the same as the, as the Jewish Passover, you know, feast with the whole lamb and all of the things that went along with that. What did Jesus say? He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is what Jesus says about it. Let me, um, let me take you to this passage. Verse 24. This is all Jesus said about it. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this, quote, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Verse 26, scoot that up. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As often as. That's Jesus' command. Whenever you do it, do it unto me. And so the early church tended to do this a lot. Years later down the road, they started really focusing on just the date the, the, the one communion kind of focus service of when they're going to have, uh, you know, eat what we call Easter. Um, but most churches, I think, do communion more often than that, a lot more than once a year. I certainly do. Our church does. And, um, and yeah, that's it. That's, that's the newsflash is they make the biggest deal in the world about Passover. Jesus didn't make a big deal about the date of it. That's all that matters to them. They do the same ceremonies that, that every other church does. And then they tell every other church they're going to hell because they don't do it on the special day that 
whatever day they do it on, because I don't know what day they do it on. <laughs> they don't tell me. It's not in his books. It's, can't find it online. Goodness, goodness gracious. Um, <clears throat> he also likes to to use the, the Passover concept to scare his people, and he tells them that when the people ate of the Passover, the, the, the plague of the firstborn passed over. And so he tells them that if they're not partaking of Passover in their church, then that they're going to get plagues upon them, basically. And that doomsday is coming. Okay, so let me move now to other stuff. That's, that's the meat of the teaching uh, that he has in his book. But there's some other things I really want to bring up that I just thought were important because this is my last video on this particular group and I want to get it out there. Um, they think doomsday is coming. They're very much a doomsday cult and they predicted the end of the world. I think it was 2012. It didn't happen. They, they tried to erase all their predictions from online. Uh, what I heard from a recent member who just left is they're also predicting the end of the world's coming again. I can't find that online. I think they know they're lying and so they don't want to put it online and make it available for people so they can prove them wrong. It's not, it's not in the book I've got here. Um, uh, but they do all sorts of weird things, right? They, to control information. They, they, they print books, they take them back, they, they destroy them, they reprint them with changes, and then act like nothing happened. They won't sell their books or they won't let me have this. Uh, I had to get it, like I said, through some hard uh, means. In page 155 of his book, uh, Kim says, The day is near and coming quickly. Some, he's talking about the doomsday, by the way. He says, The day is near and coming quickly, and listen to the conspiratorial doomsday language here. Some think of escaping to space by spaceship. Some try to hide at the bottom of the sea by nuclear submarine or by building an underwater city. Some build an underground city to hide there in case of an emergency. And you might be like, Mike, he's just, he's using hyperbole. No, no, he is not. In, in, on page 156, the next uh, page, he says, In fact, many countries have been constructing underground cities. It has been reported that hundreds of underground cities have already been built around Washington, D.C. Really? That's news to me. I mean, I, I, I didn't know that. We have hundreds of underground cities? Like, how much space does it take to build hundreds of cities underground? This is, this is pretty amazing stuff. Um, so there, it's a doomsday thing. There's a lot of fear and, and warnings and threats of the people. Every little infraction can, can somehow bring their soul into mortal danger. And the people are so nice because one of the infractions is not smiling at church, you know, <laughs> like, that's, like this is so horrific. Like if you have family in this group, you pray for them, reach out to them and don't give up on them and try to help them out of this thing. It is so twisted. They like to say, uh, he likes to say, this is the childish, like, simple-minded kind of trickery that they do. He likes to say that they're the Church of God, although their official name is the World Mission Society Church of God. Um, but they're the Church of God, and their name is found in the Bible. When, 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 uh, when the scripture says, oh, God loves the Church of God, um, or I write a letter to the Church of God. Jesus has sanctified the Church of God. There's like... There's like several, maybe five or six verses in the Bible where it uses the phrase Church of God. The crazy thing is he, he like literally quotes those verses and then says, I heard him do this in a sermon, says, that proves that we're really God's church. Like, do you know how many churches use the phrase Church of God in their title? You think that legitimizes them? So I could start any group I want and just call it Church of God now. This is wrong thinking. Um, in chapter four of his book, he talks about heresies and he talks about who's the real heretic. It's because he like knows he's a heretic, so he can't stop talking about it. 
but he talks about who's a real heretic. And so he says um, uh, three things that would identify a heretic. Three things that damn you, that damn you to hell. And on page 113, the first one he mentions, or well, it's the second one. The first one's not really a thing. He just kind of rambles. This, But the first real thing he mentions, page 113, he says, the church that doesn't keep the Passover is heretic. Quote. Um, I would say, first, that's wrong. Um, second, every church already does this. You just don't like the day we do it on, and you have no real biblical foundation for that. Um, on page 115 of his book, it says, the church that celebrates the birth of Christ on December 25th is heretic. You're going to hell because you celebrated Christmas. Um, number three, on page 117, he says the church that worships the cross is heretic. And to him, worshiping the cross is just having a cross in your church. That's it. Just having a cross. But if just having a symbol inside of a building was bad, why were there symbols inside the temple? The issue is, is it idolatry or is it just a cross? Um, yeah. What's interesting is this. In his whole thing about what makes a heretic, none of it's about Jesus. You Apparently, you can believe whatever you want about Jesus, right? None of it's about anything that's actually important. It's all about these trivial little nitpicky things. Okay, another point that's really important that you, you should know about this group. The way that they will defend themselves is not by arguing with you about these issues um, in any sort of substantive way. Instead, they'll say, we're good. We got the Queen's Award. And you're like, what? The Queen's Award? Go to their website. And you look right on the front of the website, they just keep, the propaganda is thick with the group, right? It's just, look at, we got the, we were awarded the Queen's Award, the prestigious award for volunteer service. So they tell their members around the world to go and volunteer, and then they petition the government, hey, can we have an award for that volunteer service we did? And the, and the government likes nothing better than giving out awards for things. That's, I've done stuff with them, and that's what they do. This <laughs> is how it is. I got some of my own, I can show you. Um... But uh, but whether you were effective or helpful or not. Anyway, so they get the Queen's Award, which like hundreds of people get every year. And they put it up on the front of their thing. And then it's just supposed to communicate to their people. See, we're the real church of God because we're doing good works. Look at all of our good works. So their website's more devoted to propagating their good works than anything else. Jesus said something about this. I'd like to read it to you in Matthew. Um, Matthew chapter 6. Look at what Jesus said about this concept. Take this and apply it. If you're part of this group, what do you think Jesus thinks about the website for the World Mission Society Church of God? Beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order to be seen by them. For then, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. I mean, this is, this is Jesus on this topic. Pretty clear. The, the trumpet blowing of the Church of God group is evidence that something's wrong with them. It is not evidence that they're biblical and good. Um, now, just today, I heard a very recent teaching translated to English from Kim uh, that... I think might be new to the group. He is now teaching that we're all fallen angels. We, we, me and you, we're fallen angels and we pre-existed in heaven and we sinned in heaven and then came down. Um, it's just getting crazier and crazier by the minute. I really... Okay, that's it. I want to give you some hope now. If you've been part of this group, 
if, if you've been influenced by his teachings and you've stuck with this, and this is like probably tearing your heart up to even hear these things, you know, it's, you, you realize what I'm saying is true, but it's just hard to deal with. Here's hope for you. I want to give you some hope. The hope's going to come like this. First, forget everything you have ever heard from Kim or from anyone in the World Mission Society Church of God. Forget all of it. Don't try to find what was true in it. Just throw it all out. Okay? Just forget the whole thing. Start fresh. I encourage you. You can look at my YouTube channel. Um, I have tons of free online teaching on BibleThinker.org as well. And you know, I've got a whole verse by verse study through First Peter, through Romans. I've got a lot of other questions I'm answering and issues I deal with. It's all free. It's just there for you. I hope it's a blessing to you. I don't want you to give me anything for it. I don't. You don't owe me nothing, right? I just want it to bless you. Um, start afresh. Get in the Word. Learn it again. But recognize that nothing you heard there is true. And I've got to tell you this too. This might sound rude, and I certainly don't mean it that way. But because he uses tactics that target simple-minded thinking, I've got to encourage you, don't be simple-minded about these issues. Learn deeper. Don't just replace bad belief with better better belief. You need to get deeper in your beliefs and deeper in your thinking and your theology and, and your understanding of who God is and who Christ is. You've got to go deeper. Um, and if you ever encounter a group that, like Kim, starts treating you with a, like a child, be suspicious of that. You might be drawn to it simply because, you know, we tend to repeat our past experiences. We look for the same thing all over again. If they're treating you like a child, if they're, if they're talking to you with, with the same sort of, you know, vibe that this guy uses, be suspicious. That'd be my encouragement. Uh, and the hope is this. You're not alone. If you're seeking the Lord, the Lord's going to help you seek him. He's going to help you seek him. But you need to trust his word over the word of man. And, um, and the Lord will be with you. And, uh, and yes, there's plenty of people who've also been in your exact same situation. You'll make it. You'll make it through. So um, here's what I want to do right now. That's pretty much my whole deal. I'm done with this entire group. I'm totally finished. Like I don't need to, to dig into his material anymore or worry about that kind of nonsense. What I would like to do now is take your guys' questions. Um, so uh, AJ, if you would please go ahead and send those questions over to me. You guys can load them as well in the chat. If you have more questions you haven't asked, they can be on this topic or another and I will do my best to give you my best answer uh, in a very short nutshell. All right. So here's our first question. This comes in from Teresa um, Barayo. And um, it says, <clears throat> can you address what is the biblical concept of the image of God versus their interpretation of it in Genesis 1.27? Yes. Actually, I addressed that in great detail in my first video um, about Mother God, and that's in the link to this video. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to direct you to that link. I deal with that in great detail there. I, I put all the text on the scriptures. I quote them. I share what they say about it, all those things. Um, so basically the, the short version is they pretend the word image means images, and they pretend that there's a male image and a female image of God, and this is all nonsense. It's not in the passage. There's one image of God in Genesis 127. It says... Men and women are made in the singular image of God, and God is called a him. So um, that's the short answer. But the, the thorough answer is there in the video description. From Tim G. Hey, Mike, do you think these people, the founders and leaders, know what they're doing? Or do you think they're so blind that they don't even realize Satan is using them? Uh, you know, I always wonder the same thing. Do they, like, 
how much do they know? Um, this guy, I would, if, if I had to guess, right? I'm just, I don't know his heart, right? But I would guess he knows what he's doing. But I don't know if he really knows. Um, it is entirely possible to be so deceived, right? Even self-deceived and delusional. I've seen people, maybe you have too, just make stuff up and then believe it on the spot like it's true. Make up weird things and then really believe it. This is self-deception at this point, you know? And so he may be deceived, but he's still culpable or responsible, even if he's been tricked. Even if he's been fooled, he made decisions to believe lies, and now he believes them. Uh, so that, yeah, I, I don't I don't know. God knows. God knows. But he will be judged accordingly. He's leading potentially millions of people into false teaching and teaching them of a false Jesus with a false God. Uh, it's just craziness. Um, from Juan Pelgarin. Hey, Mike, what's, uh, what's in it for the leaders to continue to grow there? Um, if, if the group they know... Oh, to grow... I'll read that again. What's in it for the leaders to continue to grow their group if they know that their doctrine is false? Do they believe their teaching is false um, if they don't want their teaching to get out? Okay, so a couple different issues there, right? Like, why don't they want... Like, why won't they tell people what the right way to do Passover is? Why do they just say everyone's wrong? Because they're, they're not interested in helping people. They're interested in growing their own, their own group. You have to come to us. We have the we have the patent for the cure for your problem. You have to come to us. We're the only source. They got the monopoly on it. That's the idea. But right now they're making they have power and money and and respect and worship even. They literally worship this woman Zengilja. Side note, one of the people who I um I I I encountered and talked to who's a former member of this group, he went all the way to Korea and he met Zengilja God the mother. And she's supposed to know everything, right? She's supposed to be God. And um, they made him and everyone else wear name tags around her. And she looked at him and she read his name and said like, oh, I'm so proud of the work you're doing. You're so great at evangelism. And I, I, I know what you're doing. And you're such a, a bold witness. And he said that that was when he started to be like, there's no way she's real because I'm terrible at the evangelism stuff. I'm scared to death to tell people about this group. And I don't get out there and do it. And so he was like, in meeting her, he was really demystified. And, um, yeah, but they meet her, they go out there, they, they encourage people, everyone to go once a year to, to Korea as though it's the new Jerusalem. So they're trying to create, um, a lot of wealth and they're targeting wealthy Americans. So they're, they're going for money, money and power. Uh, number three from, uh, or number four from Michael Cato, uh, should our response to these kinds of groups be to first share the gospel or first disassemble their beliefs through exposure and logic. I feel like both are biblical. Thank you. I I fully agree with you. Both are biblical. I think it just depends on you know what is needed at the moment. And may God give us wisdom to know, should I just go straight to the gospel? Should I deal with some other issue that's kind of in the way? You know, imagine if like someone's like, they're drowning and you're like, I'm just going to pull them out of the water. They're drowning. Oh, but then I find out they're in a car. Oh, I got to open the door and then pull them out. of. Okay but the seatbelt's on. Okay, I open the door and take the seatbelt off and then I can pull them out of the water. Sometimes there's like, you know, complications to getting them the gospel and you may need to address those issues. May God give you wisdom on it. Um, from Austin Avenaki, uh, or Avenaki, uh, Mike, when speaking to someone in the World Mission Society Church of God that's deep into it, what are the main points to bring up in five to ten minutes of the conversation? Every time I try to send her your YouTube videos, she'll just avoid the truth. Um, I think that the, um, 
That's a good question. Um, I, have, I haven't thought of that, so I'm, I don't have an answer prepared already. But I think that one thing you can do is pick a topic and have it prepared and then think not only when you'll share it with her, think what will she do after I share this with her? How will she take my information and use it? So you could talk about like An Song Hong was, was not, um, he never claimed to be Christ. Now that's very true. He never did. Actually, his tombstone says he was Elijah even on his tombstone. But will she, you know your friend, will she go and Google that to confirm it or will she just ignore you? So if she won't Google it, if she won't look into it, then you're going to need to stick to stuff that's right in the Bible. And if you're going to stick to stuff that's right in the Bible, I would stick to the, personally, I'd stick to the whole mother God thing. I would say, let's go to Genesis. Let's look at it in context. Let, you know, ask her, show me the verses that prove mother God and then look at those in context with her. But do your homework, and you can do this in my first video in the description, so that you're ready for that conversation. So you already know what she'll say and how you'll respond. So I guess um, my thought is maybe just stick to the Bible, stick to a core issue like this mother God thing. And is it biblical? Is it really taught in the text of scripture? Take her to the Jeremiah passage that talks about um, how they were worshiping the queen of heaven and how God hated it. And, um, and maybe use that on her as well. That's all in that first video in the description there. So um, let's see, there's some more questions coming in. From uh, Ziphaduk, how can a new Christian properly distinguish false and true pastors, preachers, and prophets? Um, I, I think that the Bible gives us the simplest way of discerning true and false teaching and theology, and it's going to be in the person and teaching about Jesus, right? Whoever does not confess Jesus as Lord is an antichrist, right? But, but this, is, this is interesting, this passage in 1 John. Uh, I think it's 1 John. Um, when they when they say that Jesus is Lord, this means that they have the actual Jesus of the Bible, and they know who He is. He is Lord, which of course connects to His all of, all of this stuff about Jesus, right? So basically, I'm saying who Jesus is. This is the first issue: who's Jesus, right? Is Jesus God in the flesh who came and dwelt among us, the eternal God, uncreated? Um, is that who He is? And if they say no, you know then obviously it's a false group. Did Jesus really die and really rise again? Literally? Yes, he did. Okay, well then, good. And the second issue is, how am I saved? So stick to Jesus and salvation. Two issues that he completely ignores in this book, right? That, that uh, Kim just ignores. But who's Jesus and how am I saved? Am I saved by faith? Um, like, just read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and be like, do they really believe that? Really believe it. Um, that would be the simplest thing to do. Now, there's lots of other ways where people get off and off base, but that's a good start for us. Uh, especially for new believers. Um, from uh, Kaylin Van Conant, those who, uh, hey Mike, those who are deceived uh, from the time of reaching accountability age on, oh, okay, without commas, the sentences are sometimes hard to read, so maybe you guys could add commas. Um, so those who are deceived from, time, from the time of reaching accountability age on don't know they are being deceived. Are they going to be judged for what they we're taught to believe. I'm going to translate this question into what I think you're trying to say, which is say there's someone who was deceived from before they were even like smart enough to even think about things, right? They're not accountable, accountability age. So they couldn't even conceive of things. They were deceived from day one and then they get older and they keep and they stay in that deception. Are they still accountable for that? I think, and I'm going to give you an answer that could easily be misunderstood. So please hear me carefully. I think, um, I think absolutely they're still accountable, but that that accountability is measured, measured 
based upon what God knows, they could have known, should have known, would have, all the, all, I don't know if it's would have known or whatever, but I think could have known, should have known, that's the issues. So even if you're deceived, you still look at creation and have it declaring the glory of God. Even if you're deceived, you still have the conscience, you know? And if you're deceived about the Bible, well, maybe someone's teaching you bad things about the Bible, but you got a Bible, like read it, you're still accountable for that. So I think that we can, we're still, we're held accountable for everything we're actually accountable for. And God knows every person and everything they could have done or would have done or should have done. And he judges them based upon those things. Um, From Damien, it says, uh, Mike, would you say that the Passover action is done as a symbol of honor of Christ's deed on the crucifix instead of something as important as the three, as the three sixteen and Ephesians, Galatians, etc. I'm having a hard time understanding that question, Damien, but, um, I'll just talk for a moment about the idea of Passover. Um, the interesting thing, and I didn't really mention it too much in passing. I mentioned, I passed over it. Uh, the concept that uh, Jesus, you know, he comes to the Passover meal where they're eating the lamb and the bitter herbs and all those things. And he only takes the bread and the wine and he makes those symbols of the fulfillment of the Passover. And he gives the bread and wine to us as our ceremony of not just Passover, but our ceremony of communion or the breaking of the bread. And so I think that we see a passing from from the old covenant, you know, into the new. And so we observe that through the breaking of the bread. We don't really technically observe the Jewish Passover, but the fulfillment of it, I think, would be a more careful way of saying it. Um, so, yeah, <clears throat> those are your guys' questions. I actually see some questions here in the chat. Um, Naomi King, you, you ask, uh, is there a way to expose these false teachings? And uh, should one try their best to expose them to save others? If we know they're false groups, do we automatically uh, end their false teachings? Um, I think, yes, we we should go for the throat, so to speak, of false teachings. doesn't mean you got to be angry. doesn't mean you have to be rude. But I think we should charge after that um, and absolutely go for it. And I think that that's, that's the godly thing to do. Um, in a sense, think about this. In a sense, evangelism is going after false teachings because people don't, who don't believe in Jesus, whatever else they believe, we want to get them the faith of, and trust of, of Christ. We want to get them the gospel and can get that into their hearts and into their lives. And so all evangelism is dealing with false teaching, whether it's skepticism, atheism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, Church of God, you know, you name it. All evangelism is, is doing exactly that. So in a sense, should I expose false teachers in an effort to evangelize people? That's just what evangelism is. Um, yeah, so you guys, um, I think we're doing good. It's, it's been a good long while, uh, and I've been stoked to have so many people joining me for this live stream. I love that you love this and I'm going to keep on doing it and bringing more. And every week we handle different issues about either theology, like a Christian sort of focused issue or apologetics, something about defending the faith, that sort of thing. I'll always try to keep kind of a mixture of the two because that's what I think is needed in the online world. And, um, and thank you so much. I uh, appreciate uh, hearing from you guys and getting your feedback. And I just hope you have a really fantastic night. God bless you.